Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hello, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen posts on Tumblr. I'm joined tonight with Whitey. Hi, this is Yellow Delaney, and you can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. And Kama. Hi, this is Kama, and you can find me at Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. Chicky. Hey, guys, this is Chicky. I am Chickren on Tumblr. And our guest tonight, Coralie. Hi, this is Coralie, and you can find me at Coralie Through the Looking Glass on Tumblr. Woot woot, thanks for joining us. Okay, we're going to be covering Game of Thrones Season 1, Episode 7. This is the episode that we first see Tywin. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> this is really important. I have to preempt discussion of the first scene by saying that just prior to podcast, Comma warned us all that she had a few Tywin-related things to discuss, so I just burnt my notes. <laughs> Please, carry on. I told her she gets one minute. <laughs> self-edit, self-edit. Okay, um, also, this podcast will contain spoilers, so major spoilers for book and show. And as always, there will probably be rape discussion at some point. There also may be um, gratuitous animal skinning. Yeah, well, done incorrectly, but we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we open up and uh, we're looking over a sea of red tents. It's a Lannister army. Uh, Jamie is with his father and he's reading the letter that Ned composed to Tywin. Tywin is butchering a deer on a table. And as I mentioned, he's doing it wrong. Tywin wants to know why You're Ned is doing it wrong. Him. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> doing it wrong uh, Tywin wants to know why Ned is still alive Jamie tells him it wouldn't have been clean Tywin tells Jamie he's giving him an army to free Tyrion Jamie responds didn't realize you placed such high value on Tyrion's life and uh, Tywin's response is he's a Lannister he might be the lowest of the low but he's still one of us Lot, lot. And, I gotta uh, say, I love the way that you put the emphasis on Nikolai's accent on clean, because that is the <laughs> funniest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. It wouldn't have been clean. <laughs> his, act, no, his accent was kind of like all over the place in this scene, was it not? He does oh, so struggle in the yeah. well, particularly in the first season. But he also, I mean, he, has, he had his moment season in season um, in season four, depending on I think who he was acting against as well. Yeah, you, you gotta I, love the was... Lannisters. The Lannisters who none of them have the same accent. This family of four. <laughs> nobody sounds <laughs> the same. And, and I think it's season three where there's a scene between Tywin and Cersei and they both pronounce the same like at Terrell. least twice. The Terrell. same word differently. Different. Yeah, I think it was Terrell, And it's not just word. that, it's another word too and I'm just like, okay, that makes no linguistic sense, but okay. Yeah, but then again, George makes no linguistic sense. So. <laughs> Smile and nod. They're just doing it canon style. Oh, the word yeah. is contribute and she says it really strangely like and he says it normally and it's just sort of like okay, I don't get this family, but yeah. <laughs> um, where was 
Like, oh, every day, um, well, Tywin says every day that Tyrion is held captive, it's um, the less that the Lannister name will command respect. Um, and then we get this whole spiel about um, the importance of the family name and how it lives on. It lives on beyond them. And then Tywin asks Jamie to become the man he was meant to be. And then he goes back to butchering his deer incorrectly. <laughs> I and do have to. S- oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I do have to say, I, I have no idea how butcher a deer, and I'm sure you're going to tell us. But um, the one <laughs> like, thing she does it with at a bad some tape. point, I got <laughs> obsessed with. There's a bureau in this this tent. I know, right? And I became obsessed, and I rewatched the entire season to spot the bureau and where it went with Tywin. <laughs> and um, a, I don't know what it's doing there. And B, that tent it's his is his favorite same... armoire. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's actually to hold all Jamie's tiny. It's, it's to hold all J- Jamie's golden clothing. Well, it's got these <laughs> tiny little drawers. It doesn't even look like it's that functional. But okay, that tent where he's butchering the deer. Okay, wrong, incorrectly, but <clears throat> looking very hot while he's doing it. Um, is also the same tent where his men meet. They eat in there. Presumably, other things happen in that tent. And I, if you were going to butcher a deer, would you want to do it uh-huh. in like the equivalent of it, your dining room? That is definitely my out. main concern with this scene. It cannot be up at night. No, a butcher deer. She's, about that. she's right. No, she's right. It does stink when you butcher a deer. It really smells. You don't want to do that there. I mean, he's pulling out intestines <laughs> and stuff. I mean, that's got to reek to high hell. Yeah, I love how they haven't even gutted the thing and they take it in and put it on a table in the tent. This is just ridiculous. I can't even with this. I love that this is what we're complaining about. I love that I got you guys on board with this. (laughs) (laughs) This is just the beginning. But he was speaking of doing it, so I'm all over it. That's okay. I saw Coralie jumping in with something. Oh, no, I was was just saying I'm keeping quiet about this because I'm really... <laughs> it's not Don't anywhere care. in my experience. Butchering is oh. not in her armoire uh, <laughs> expertise. I don't eat meat, meat. So in, oh, no. in his defense, it was a real deer, and it was his first and only time trying to gut it. So you know, I, I mean, it's not like you did a terrible job of skinning it. It's just the entire yes. setup is ridiculous. The way that they're doing it. Yeah, you, yeah, you wouldn't yeah. got a deer inside a tent and you would hang it to skin it. The whole thing's just stupid. Okay, you people are scaring yep. me. They do all this just so they can get their <laughs> symbolism too. of the Let's stag. run, Coralie. I oh, know. I'm like, you know. They yeah, could have done it outside. But... These things happen. Can I gush now? now? No, not yet. <laughs> Coralie, well, you've had your 50 seconds. Just let me have one brief second. Actually, no. Okay. You know what, Kama? You go first and then I'm going to gush about Jamie. Okay, you go. All right. I just have to say the casting was spot on. They did. I mean, I read some complaints after the fact and I couldn't understand what the hell these people were thinking, how Charles Dance should have apparently shaved his head for this part, which I thought was stupid. I don't care if Book Tywin is bald and has mutton chops. I really don't. (laughs) I I would much prefer to have somebody who acts the part rather than someone who looks the part. And I think he does. Um, the minute I saw this, I instantly understood why his children are the way they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, he managed the writing on this was good, I thought. I mean, aside from, you know, the whole setup. 
um, physical setup. I thought the writing was spot on. I really thought that it really demonstrated really? a lot. You think the writing is spot on in this? For this scene, yeah. I thought it conveyed oh, quite a Oh, okay, well. But, really? You know, I think it's but... terrible. I think it's really? just completely not the teary- the, or, sorry, the Tywin and Jamie dynamic at all. I mean, you kind of get the feeling that the first really big argument that Tywin and Jamie have ever had is in Storm of Swords when they basically break up with each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, this is just not, you know, I mean, Jamie is Tywin's golden boy. This whole scene it's is just, just kind of their, I, I don't I know. Got- you don't think like when he took off to be, or well, he accepted the offer to become uh, part of the King's guard, that that was a big breaking point for Tywin. No. Cause or I when think he... Tywin blamed that entirely on Eris. I don't think Tywin had any idea that Jamie and especially not Cersei had, had anything to do with it. Um, you never get that impression in the books. You never see anything from either Cersei huh. or Jamie about Tywin saying anything to them about that. Um, no, I mean like Jamie is Tywin's golden boy. I mean, like you look at Tyrion's chapters and it's really clear. <laughs> What is it when well, Tyrion I mean, finally gets back to camp? Tywin. See, what I, is it Tywin says? He says something like, "Well, your brother's been covering himself with glory. Like, yes. basically, you're letting us down again." Yeah. Well, you know, when I watched this, and admittedly, I had not yet read the Storm of Swords when I was watching this, and I haven't gotten to that book on my reread. Um, I saw this scene, and I was like, "Okay, I get, I get who this man is. I mean, he's the impossible to please. There's no way you're ever gonna. It, it, at least, it's my personal interpretation." And then when he had that scene with Tyrion where he's like, well, your brother is out there winning all these battles, covering himself with glory. I'm like, okay, he's that guy who is never going to tell you to your face that you did well. He'll play you off against your siblings, but he's never going to come out and say, hey, good job. So that was sort of how I saw the character. I don't disagree with you, and I, that's definitely how they've written him on the show. I just disagree with that in the book. I don't think that is actually Tywin. I think, I mean, you get the feeling he's never really had a big falling out with Cersei until it's clear that Joffrey's completely out of control, and you really get the feeling that he hasn't had many run-ins with Jaime, if any at all, um, until the point where they, in Storm of Swords, basically, I mean, you almost get the feeling like it's the first fight they've ever had. <laughs> I do, anyway. I mean, it's, I don't think it's because they're close. I think it's just they just don't communicate. He's very cold with all of his kids, and it just, you know, isn't that kind of relationship. But, yeah, no, I, I, I get where they're going with this. They wanted to make Tywin a bigger character in the show, which I don't fault them for, managing to land Charles Dance. I mean, and it was a good move. It ended up being a great move. It made season four a ten times better that they made Tywin the character that they did. But I mean, I would argue this isn't quite canon book canon no, the way that they I don't, play this, I would... especially with Jamie, because Jamie just doesn't have any chip on his shoulder with his dad. Yeah. Ever that you see until Storm of Swords. Yeah, I no, agree. And, I, I, oh, you go ahead, Lo. Oh, I was just going to say, I would agree that um, book Tywin is not what show Tywin is. And I think Charles mm. Dance oh. has brought a lot to the character. And, like, that's the actual Tywin I'm kind of in love with is the show mm. Tywin for sure. Oh, totally. Tywin, I, he can suck a dick. <laughs> yeah, I. I don't like Book Tywin very much. Um, in fact, I, I, even now, I mean, Show Tywin does horrible, awful things, but I think I thought there was a little more dimension to him, and there was a lot of um, telling, or what, how, what did they say? Um, you shouldn't tell us, you should show us. And a lot of what Martin does in the books with Tywin is tell us. You know, like we get all the backstory about Eris, but we never actually, since we don't actually see any of that, it's, 
you know, you're getting it layered in through the lens of other characters. And I don't know that he necessarily comes off. Well, he doesn't come well off well at all, especially after what he's done to Tyrion. But I don't know. I liked it. Um, I think my opinion may change. I've noticed that as I do my reread and I'm catching up on the books that my opinion on what the show has done has changed. So it's possible I may come back and say, yeah, I see what you're saying. But right now, for me, this was a good scene. I I'm thought it was good, good shorthand really well. I, about I agree a lot of different really things. Well. And that you got a sense of who this guy was very quickly. That family was important. His na- Well, not family. The name, mm, the, the legacy name. of the family, rather than the actual thing, is what's important to that man. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah I, think, I think this was a great introduction to show Tywin. There's no question. This is show Tywin. This is exactly as they're going to play him for the rest of the series. I'm, a lot of my irritation is just the way that they had Cersei and Jamie interact with him just is not canon for their characters at all to me. And it just kind of has a rippling effect. And really, this isn't, you know, book canon Tywin to me. I mean, it, you know, we'll, we'll see even more of it as we get into season two, where he like somehow strikes up a friendship with Arya and stuff. It's just stuff you can't really imagine happening with book Tywin. Yeah. There's a lot of Why characters do you were gonna add that one. So. <laughs> yeah, I was look, I think it's it's essentially been covered now. I I barely you know, I pretty much agree with with aspects of both of what Chicky and Common were saying. I, I feel like it was an excellent introduction to Tywin. I really enjoyed this sort of formidable feeling you get um from him. You know, the the fact that he's so methodically skinning this deer is, you know, willing to get his hands dirty. And obviously that that symbolism was a little bit ham-fisted for me of him skinning a, a stag, but, you know... Right? It, it was, <laughs> <laughs> they were really insistent on getting that thing on there. Yeah, so they wanted to do it for, I guess, a shout-out for I, the book readers. I but... actually know more than a few people who <clears throat> didn't get it. <laughs> I mean, I did, but I know yeah, yeah. I think a lot of viewers, especially the more, not the obsessive viewers, but the more casual people who probably tune in, watch it and forget about it until the next Sunday. Yeah. I don't know that the animal symbolism really came across terribly. I mean, I think for your casual viewer, they needed to be ham handed with that. Well, I think for the show watchers, they probably, most of them probably wouldn't have gotten it. Um, yeah. For the book readers, it was fairly overt. But, you know, right. I was just saying the things I liked about the scene, I did like Tyron's introduction in the books. It's much more of a subtle, subtle thing. Um, it kind of shows him as this calculating, methodical, sort of unsentimental guy. Um, I didn't, as Chicky pointed out, I didn't really enjoy the dynamic between Tywin and Jamie. The fact that Jamie is sort of being very meek and, you know, almost cowering before his father. To me, that's not the book Jamie and Tywin relationship at this stage. Um, so, yeah, I tend to agree with Chicky. But you know what? Charles Dance is amazing. He does a, an amazing job with Tywin. And I did enjoy this scene for for many other reasons. <laughs> Uh, can we all like go to a, a topic that I think we're all agreeing on, and that is how hot Jamie well, Nikolai looked in this scene? Like, and we, also, oh, can yeah. we point out that he's standing there slowly stroking his sword? Stroking the sword. <laughs> I've seen too many my because that was the first. I, I don't thing like. I almost, oh, I'm sorry, Coralie. What were you saying? Sorry, um, I've seen far too many gifts now of this. Um, 
the first scene <laughs> because the first thing I noticed was him stroking his sword. There's never too many <laughs> gifts of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I do have to point out the probably totally uh, unintentional parallel of then Brienne stroking Oathkeeper in season four. <laughs> I have to say, like, to me, it was just, like, the perfect amount of scruff. His hair length was good. The fucking Lannister armor. Like, wow. Is this your favorite Jamie look? This is peak Jamie. Peak. Doesn't get any better. Sorry. He's clean. He, you know, it's not like season three where I just kept wanting him to fall into some water so he'd, like, wash himself, like, that whole bathtub scene. I've said I wanted him to dunk his head, so he's clean. We don't have to like visualize lice or anything. He looks hot. <laughs> I've got to say, just um, un- oh sorry, Coralie, we're going to say something. No, I'm all right. Thanks. You sure? <laughs> Okay. Um, There's just another thing I, I did want to quickly point out that I did like about this scene, and I think they they did sort of encapsulate Tywin's spirit in a way. It was just with the wrong person. Because, you know, when they're talking about Tyrion, for example, you see that there's that big gaping chasm between how Jamie views family and how Tywin views family and, and the fact that they both want Tyrion back. But Jamie wants him back because, you know, he loves his brother. He misses his brother. Right. He wants him to be safe. And we've got Tywin, who is essentially saying he may be the lowest of the low. Good pun, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he only cares that the Lannister name, that the power of the Lannister house and its legacy remains unbesmirched, so to speak. So, you know, for Tywin... Jamie's concerned with the the essence of what a family should be right. and it is and Tywin is concerned yeah. with the appearance. That's it. For Tywin it. it's all about power and, and preserving the Lannister name. And for Jamie it's all about love. And that's you know, we, we know that about Jamie. That's that's his you know, his cause for living really. The things he does, he does for love. Right. And uh, I think we spent a great amount of time on this scene. <laughs> well not nearly hour, enough, hour but I'm done. <laughs> It's time to move on. This is a very special episode of the podcast, which is three hours long. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping that'll be the meat of this this episode. You know what? That means it'll be about 5am for Coralie when we finish. (laughs) I was going to say, I'll be asleep by the end. She'll be asleep. (laughs) That's okay. The best scene is over now, Coralie. If you need to take a nap. You can go now. Go for it. Yeah, it's all downhill from here. Okay, here we go. Uh, Cersei is in the gardens. Um, She pays a visit to Ned. Ned tells her he knows why Jon Arryn died. He asks if uh, Robert ever hit her before, and then she responds, my brother would have killed him. And then Ned says, brother or lover. Brother, lover. And then we get... We get our defense of, uh, you know, the Targaryens were incesting forever and uh, how they shared a womb. Like, that's supposed to help your argument. I like that incest is a verb now. Incesting, the new verb. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Ned rightly guesses that Bran saw them together. And uh, at one point, Cersei corrects Ned that she didn't always hate Robert and she had been happy to marry him. But it was Lyanna he whispered in her ear on their wedding night. Ned tells her to leave King's Landing. He will not have the death of her or her children on his hands, warns her of Robert's wrath. And then she replies, what of my wrath, Lord Stark? And uh, we also end the scene with the famous line, when you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. Yeah, Ned may have wanted to pay more close attention to that. But anyway... This scene is, I've, I've recently started rereading Game of Thrones and I just read this scene the other night and it's, it's fairly, 
it's fairly similar to the show scene. So they did, I think they, they adapted it quite well. There's one thing that they left out, which I thought was interesting, and that is in the book, Cersei actually goes to start sexually manipulating Ned. She tries, she tries at to least. To him. Right. She starts stroking oh. the flag. She says, you know, yeah. hint, hint, um, you know, if you, you can have me, let, let's baby be and... friends, stroke, stroke. Um, and that is, that is, you know, fairly classic Cersei manipulation, book Cersei manipulation. That's, you know, she tends to rely on her, her sexuality to get what she wants, which is something that we've not really seen in the show thus far. And that is something yes. that they've, yeah, that's something that they're presumably using to, I don't know, we always talk about Cersei being softened for the show. And I think we all agree that show Cersei is not book Cersei. And that mm-hmm. is partially, I think, due to the fact that they've completely left out the way she uses sex to manipulate, at least well, at this stage. Her, they're taking away, and they do this with, all, this is a whole episode. <laughs> they're taking, they 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 did this with Catelyn. They've done this with other characters where they take away, and it tends to be female characters where they do this, where the women are, they lose oh, some no. of their edge. Mm. They're made more simplistic. Um, and I think that's part of what they did here. I don't know if it was an intentional misogynistic thing, but... Well, I think there's certainly some some misogyny going on behind the scenes. Yeah, but, yeah look, whether I think, intentional or not. Yeah, right. They've definitely taken away uh, more of the power plays of the women, particularly yeah, like Catelyn and Cersei. Yeah. And, you know, it's like in, in Cersei's time, you know, I'm not saying it's a great idea, but sexuality was a <laughs> completely valid weapon of choice well, for women. Well, it was often the only tool time. that they had. That a woman had. In her time. Yeah. It was one of them. It's like, baby, I'm all over that right now. <laughs> We still remember the story of you crying, like, to get that oh, boy's up. attention. Shut up. <laughs> it works. Not I'm just saying. Cersei. But, yeah, no, I, look, that's, I think it's a shame that they, they left that part out. And I think, yes, that's a huge part of Cersei's book, Cersei's personality. So that's a lot of the reason why we are constantly saying show Cersei is not book Cersei. It's just not the same person. Most of these characters are not like their book counterparts. I mean, yeah, some Tywin of them needs th- to be bold, damn it. Kidding. <laughs> it's button chops. <laughs> Ty- Tywin and Serio Pharrell, right? <laughs> I love that you remember that. Uh, anybody anyway. else want to you- talk about this garden scene before we go on? That is what it is. Cara? Um, do you think that they've taken some of it? of Cersei's sexuality away because it would make her less likable to certain female viewers. I don't think they care about female viewers at all. Really? Because I really enjoyed that brothel scene that comes later on. (laughs) I was going to say, as witnessed by... And and do not get me going with HBO because I've seen my share of HBO shows, man, where men drop trowel all the time. And on this show, the closest we come to it is... Later on with the that white, wine, wine guy, and that is yeah. not an attractive sight. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't think they're concerned with the female viewer. I really don't think that's an issue. They may say mm-hmm. they are, but they're not. I they think they did want to soften Cersei, and they did want to soften Catelyn, but we're not their target demographic. Otherwise, we would not be sitting there watching a fully clothed Aiden Gillen with two naked women. It, it, no. Yeah. It you know, be I tend to think, I'm... personally, I tend to think it's just ignorance. I think they just uh, shy away from writing uh, as complex a character as Cersei is in reality. I think they just didn't want to touch it. And I think they needed to make Cersei 
I think they wanted to flesh her out in their own way. I think they wanted to make her sympathetic in their own way. And I think this is what they did. I think what Cersei really is made them uncomfortable. The same way that what Catelyn really is made them uncomfortable. You know, what's interesting is look at the, the, look, I've got to say, the fanboy response to characters like Sansa, who, you know, when she's not being, you know, the perfect little lady, there was an outcry. She's a bitch. She's, you know, she deserves to die just because of the way she behaved with the whole lady incident. And yeah, go later on, I once read on a forum, I don't remember which one it was, uh, like three or four people were chiming in on the same topic. It had to do with Sansa and Tyrion's marriage and their wedding night and how what a bitch she was for A, not kneeling to him Mm. and B, for not having sex with him. Yeah. And I would like to say that this is just some, you know, a handful of random, you know, evil dudes. But I think that's <laughs> not that uncommon an attitude. Among oh, no. some that misogyny no. is rife throughout fandom. <laughs> she's is, like, she's 14 years old. Oh, my God. And in it the book, rough. she's even younger. <laughs> I mean, it's not just Sansa. It's the way they talk about Cersei that way. They talk about Catelyn that way. You know, it's, these bitches not not yeah. uh, conforming to what the the perfect lady should be. It's And it's that's why repulsive. we need to keep doing this podcast forever and exactly. ever. We're gonna start the new wire podcast next year. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 our little sister podcast. I've never watched the show, but I hear good things every I hear Aiden Gillen can act in that show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's okay, a good segue. Just, this episode is... Oh, right, it is. Thanks. Uh, so the next scene is a uh, little finger scene. And it's of his brothel, and it kind of... You see a lot of naked, crying children, followed by a poorly crying Ross. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asks her if she has uh, any idea of how ridiculous she sounds. He then goes through coaching her on how whores should sound, because I guess we're supposed to believe he'd be better at this than them. Mm. Uh, Ross asks him to join them and he says he's saving himself for another with an impeccable bloodline Ross says she believes he's in love for many years he says and she loved me too and then he talks a bit about being beaten in a duel by her betrothed and uh, how she had begged Brandon not to kill him and ultimately she ended up marrying his brother he proclaims he's not going to fight them he's going to fuck them when Ross asks him what he wants, he responds, everything. Thoughts? I have, any? I have two oh, God, words this fucking down scene. I hate this scene so much. This <laughs> exactly is the worst scene, scene ever. I have exactly two words. Snidely whiplash. I was about to say, I didn't think sex position was two words. Sex position. <laughs> He is such a cartoon villain. It's, it's, oh, God. The it's Snidely of... Whiplash for you youngins is a character from Rocky and Bullwinkle. He's the villain yeah. who's got the heroin tied to the train tracks and I'll get you my pretty that kind of guy. Yeah. The lack of subtlety in show Littlefinger is really starting to bother me. Isn't it fucking annoying? It's really it annoying. It's like being hit in the head with a hammer repeatedly. And look. There is absolutely no denying that this scene is about sex. This scene is about showing gratuitous sex. No one can convince me otherwise. Well, this is entirely male gaze. This was entirely set up, framed. 
everything for the male gaze. And as much as I am for having some homosexual sex scenes in this show, that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, Get some of the homosexual canon book scenes in here. That would be fine with me. But this is entirely just set up for guys to look at. I mean, like, there's just no other way to put it. No, That is exactly what it is. Look, for show show only watchers, if you weren't totally distracted by the gratuitous sex going on, if you were actually paying attention to Littlefinger... His later betrayal of Ned is essentially given away here. I felt that way when I was watching it. Because, you know, Littlefinger has already been telegraphed as being sly and untrustworthy. This wasn't necessary character building. There was nothing in this scene that was necessary. This was a totally gratuitous sex scene. It wasn't subtle. There was no clever exposition. You know, for me... When I was first watching this, one of the more interesting intrigues of Littlefinger at this point of the story is whose side is he really on? You know, right. is he actually mm-hmm. backing Ned? He's supposed to be this mysterious, potentially duplicitous character, but in a it's it's meant to be vague. And this scene just totally took that away. And you know, if you were totally distracted by the sex in this scene, then what was the point? You know, as to give was- it's yeah, it's it's essentially for their for their fanboys. I was going through some emails, you know, clearing stuff out, and I came across one. I think I had watched the show on the DVD, and I I contacted one of my friends who had read the books, and I said, and had been watching the show and had recommended it to me, and I'm like, what is up with this guy? I'm like, he keeps talking <laughs> about all these whores, and he's a pimp, and I'm like, how is that like a positive thing in polite society? I mean. And also, do you think he's a pirate? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't first, say that. This is the first big Aiden Gillen accent dip. He almost he it, almost goes back Native Irish in this, or or maybe yeah. it's more Liverpool. Yeah. I don't know where he is, but it's not where he has been the rest of the season. So no, I feel like I feel like we harp on this. I feel like we harp on this a lot, but this was terrible acting by Aiden Gillen, in my opinion. The scene was completely clumsily executed to me. Um, I, I really want to say something nice about Aiden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know When I did my first rewatch of this, I just sat there and I watched it and I was like, I knew this scene existed, but I had just forgotten how bad it was. And it's just kind of enraging to watch something like this as yeah. a woman. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is totally patronizing, you know? totally all insulting. The many, many, and there are many sex position scenes this is probably um, the one I least hate, but it's not a good scene. You least Whoa. hate this sex position? That's interesting. This is, oh, good God. I think if this well, sex there are, position Well, there are lots the to talk this is about, the worst. That, I mean, Absolutely that just drive me crazy. And this one, you know, I like Esme Bianco. I'll say that much, but the rest of them. And I don't mm-hmm. know what is up with that other extra. She was, yeah, I don't know what Look, that was. Look, the only, uh, dude, what, to try you and know grasp. what's up with that extra? She's well, actually I know a porn what she was yeah, doing, but she's not. Yeah, I no, know she's a porn actress. What I'm saying right? is they actually had to get a porn actress. Yeah, no, um, no, I mean, this no, isn't something yeah, a normal actress that. would have participated yeah, in, basically. You know what? I'm going to try and present a positive for this scene. I did enjoy the analogy that they were using, which is, you know, Littlefinger's teaching his girls to fuck over their clients just like he's fucking over Ned Stark, fucking over everyone. You know, he's talking only- about, he says, you're not fooling them. They know who you are. Your job is to make them forget what they know, and that takes time. And you know, the analogy is—that's going to come back to bite him in the ass yeah, when somebody. Yeah, but the analogy is not a bad one. It did not need to be presented within 
a what felt like indefinite scene of sex. And even just the way that it was shot, the actual the loud moaning, you could barely even hear what he was saying. <laughs> so clearly they were not interested in having well, people concentrating on what Littlefinger was saying. Closed captioning that's, is for. Well, that's why he was correcting them, Whitey. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> okay. And um, uh, we need to move on. So we're going back to Winterfell for the next scene, and it's Osha. She's in chains. Theon comes in, calls her a lucky girl. How back where he's from, they would have killed her. He demands she call him my lord, and uh, Osha feigns ignorance and asks Theon how he can be a lord when his father is lord. He calls her impudent, then grabs her by the face. Maester Lewin comes in, tells Theon she is their guest. Theon responds, thought she was our prisoner. He says, are they naturally, or sorry, are they mutually exclusive in your experience? Get, kind of gets served there, my master, Maester Lewin. just Theon not being able to get any damn respect. <laughs> yep. He leaves, and then Osha tells Lewin she's used to his type and worse. She warns him of the things that she's been running away from and uh, how they are no longer sleeping. And that's the end of that. Mm. I like the actors. Well, Osha, she's um, that actress. She's um, didn't George say one of the only reasons he's like beefed up that character because of her portrayal yes, in the did. show? Yeah, that's huge. And I that's love the huge. guy who plays Master or Maester Lewin. I really like him. Donald, yeah. he, was he was good. I grew up watching him. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, he was in a, a show when I was a, a teenager, or well, before I was a teenager, called The Queen's Nose, which was a children's show, oh, right. and he played the bad guy in it, and I just, it makes me feel old to see him really old now, even though I'm not actually old. <laughs> it must be quite a quite a difference as well. Wow, his credits go back to 67. Sorry. Wow. He's been acting a very long time. <gasps> he was on Doctor Who. Yeah, are you Googling in, during in the middle of the podcast? I am. I'm doing Stop research. It. No, do that on your own time. <laughs> it is my own time. This, I consider this part of the job. All right. Uh, next, Sam and John. Uh, they're on top of the... This is a really short scene. Sam and John on top of the wall. Sam says he misses girls. John sees a lone horse returning with no rider, and it's Benjamin's horse. Dun, dun, so, dun. No. Short scene, yeah. Hot Uncle Benjamin, no. Damn it. <laughs> That's okay. I, uh, Ghost finds his arm later. Thanks. That's reassuring. Not his arm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Carl. Were you gonna say something? No, I was. Just, I just made a note to say um, about Sam on top of the wall that it feels like this is a regu- That might have been a regular thing that they just go up to the top and John mopes. And, and he chats um, about girls. And he chats about girls and what he misses about home. And John's just moping away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the next scene is Ned and he's in the Red Keep when Renly runs in with bloody hands. Ned is told Robert's been hurt. Um, so Ned goes to visit him. He's in bed. Robert tells Joffrey he should have spent more time with him and now and how he was never meant to be a father. Cersei is there along with Barristan and Pycelle. When Ned arrives, uh, Joffrey is dismissed. Robert tells Ned he got the boar back and he wants everyone to feast on the pig that killed him. He then dismisses everyone but Ned. Uh, Cersei tries to interject. Uh, she's cut off and they all have to leave. 
Robert tells Ned to compose a letter announcing Ned as ruler until Joffrey comes of age. He says at least he's going to do one thing right. Tells Ned he was right about Daenerys. Um, calls the others worthless and he asks that Ned stop the assassination if it's not too late. And he also asks that he helps Joffrey <clears throat> become a good king. <laughs> good luck with that. Asks, about, uh, asks for something to help him die in peace. Outside the king's chamber, Varys asks Barristan, who gave the king his wine. Ned um, learns it was Lancel Lannister. Ned tells Varys to unmake his arrangements concerning Daenerys, and then Varys tells him it's too late. That's the end of that. There was a show, a British show called Yes, Minister. Mm -hmm. This this reminds me of a much more leaked lethal version of this with Varys and Ned and Varys is like you know kind of trying to get him to do things a certain way and Ned's like insistent he's gonna go ahead and do it and you know it would have been a comedy thing on Yes Minister here it's just gonna get him killed <laughs> I have no idea what you're just talking about <laughs> never mind <laughs> it's the idea of like um, basically that you have someone who's a bureaucrat like Varys who's always there regardless of who's king never changes. Right. And then you've got your Kings, you come and go. They're sort of like, you know, technically they have all the power, but they're not the people who know all the shit that goes down. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does. Does anyone Sorry. have any, does anyone have anything else to add about this scene before we go on to the I next? I found it pretty really interesting on rewatch because I hadn't seen it beforehand, was how much Cersei was looking at Ned through that scene. Um, she's worried. She's she's concerned and, you know, checking up that things are going the way she wants them to go. Mm. Mm. Well, if, sure. if Ned had gone nuclear, she'd be dead. And he didn't. And she knows that. Yeah, we're all kind of just mentally screaming at Ned. Just fucking tell him. <laughs> Throughout the entire first season. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mentally Stay screaming at Ned. Stay home. Don't go. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They don't I've got a, ran- <laughs> a random bit of useless knowledge because I did some research when I was watching. Um, there was a French king... Philip the Fourth, who died when he was um, after falling off a horse when charged by a boar. So um, oh. with Martin trying to look into history and you know taking bits and me changing it round, I was wondering when I was watching if there was actually somebody who that had happened to, like Robert. So mm. that's a, just a yeah, bit well, of useless information. Yeah, Martin does like definitely it. delve into history. He uses a lot of history in his in his work. No, I love shit like that. Thanks for sharing. Okay. The next scene is Danny, and she's with Drogo. And Drogo tells her, um, the stallion who mounts the world has no need for iron chairs. They go back and forth a bit. She's pressing him to go across the narrow sea to conquer the Seven Kingdoms, and he's just not interested. In the next scene, it's of uh, Daenerys and Jorah um, at market. They speak of Aegon the Conqueror and dragons. Jorah excuses himself to seek out the merchant captain. He wants to see if he has any mail. (laughs) A child tells him the spider sends his regards and congratulates him. He can now go home. 
a wine merchant offers Daenerys a cup of wine. Jorah is observing from a distance, and then he steps forward and asks the merchant to pour from the barrel he gifted to Daenerys. The merchant takes the glass, brings it to his lips, then quickly drops it and tosses a barrel at Ricaro. He does not get far. He's captured. That's the end of that scene. God, speaking of ham-fisted, the whole way that this is blocked with Jorah getting the message at exactly this moment, you know, the way that this <laughs> right? is done is just oh, kind God. of... Oh. I mean, it's hard for me to watch. I mean, I'm sure the first time through, you're not going to be thinking about it much. But I'm just like, oh, God. Subtle, guys. Subtle. I, I like the <laughs> casting of the, the small parts throughout this whole se- throughout the whole show. They do a good job. I thought the guy that got to play the wine mar- merchant did a nice job. That's all I got. Yeah. Oh, the wine merchant was actually really good. He is actually yeah. really, really good. Casting is usually where they shine. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so are we ready to go to Castle Black? Let's do it. I mean, I guess so. Other than we could drop a note about how you know clearly this is set up a little differently than the book story. I mean, as far as we know, right. Jorah no did pardon. not get a pardon. Yeah, and, that was weird. you know. In fact, does he get <laughs> warning that there's a an assassination plot in the works? I can't remember, but yeah, this isn't how it goes. I don't think it's clear, and since he's not a POV character, and Danny is not that, I don't know that we would know. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't have much help. Most days. Okay, so back at Castle Black, it's graduation day. Mormont, <laughs> Mormont tells the men their names and identities no longer matter once they take the black. Sam tells John what we've all noticed. He looks pouty. <laughs> <laughs> He's worried about his uncle Benjamin. That is brand new information. <laughs> <laughs> Sam tells him he'll be a ranger soon. They are both uh, pretty certain Sam will be a steward. Mormont continues his speech, reminding them the penalty for desertion is death. John asks to say his vows before the weirwood north of the wall. Sam wants to go with him. Mormont then reads out where they are assigned. Everyone is surprised when John is assigned to the Stuarts. Alistair smiles. Maester Eamon tells John he's assigned as Mormont Stuart. John is very huffy about the news, and he tells Pip and Sam it's not fair He's been that he's been made a Stuart. Then we learn how Pip made it to the wall. He um, apparently denied the advances of a lord at Acorn Hall. And it's just a nice little bit of a uh, reminder to John that, you know, his lot in life hasn't been that bad. Uh, as Pip leaves, Sam reminds John about who he, who he is serving. And uh, basically, he believes he's being groomed to take command. John tells Sam he always wanted to be a ranger. Sam says he always wanted to be a wizard. They laugh. <laughs> What? And hang on, we got to point out that John laughs, which isn't that over the quota for this season? He's already laughed twice now. <laughs> that ain't right. I, I just wanted to point out, there's a nice little scene in the book that they left out of the show. I don't have a huge issue with it being left out, but I just thought it would be nice to note that in the book, um, Sam is actually not meant to be graduating with the rest of the boys right. so they're going to be leaving him behind to fend for himself with you know raston you know the other guys that oh, don't have his right. back yeah, yeah so john actually does a really lovely thing he goes to um mr Eamon and he 
suggests to him that perhaps Sam could be his steward and help him with reading yes. and writing and, and that's what happens in the book. So it was I thought it was just a nice little scene. It doesn't bother me too much that it wasn't in the show, but I thought it was worthwhile pointing out. Well, and it pisses mm. off some guy who dies later on in a prologue or an epilogue or something like that too. It, you know, it's funny. Well, the first time I watched stuff, I really loved the stuff at the wall. And when I read the first two books, I really actually most of the books, I like the stuff at the wall. I find I have less and less patience for John, uh, AKA Marty Stew there and his poor lot in life. I just, Oh God, he's the tropiest trope, whoever trope. Yeah. Look in the book, John, <laughs> as with all the children are a bit younger. So I think it's a little bit more, more believable that he's struggling with this, this identity like, at this, 14 in the show. I think he's more. 16, well, and that actor looks like he's, you know, 25, 35, and yeah, probably yeah. is 45 <laughs> or whatever. I mean, so it's really hard to care. I mean, it's like, dude, life's tough. Just suck it up and deal. Um, but suck it up, again, little emo. My notes I, went off on random tangents through this scene. Oh, I yeah? don't really know why. I, I went on. There's a whole lot about why do commoners not have surnames? Because Ed has a surname, but Gren and Pip don't. And it's just right. on and on. It shows how interested I really was. Dolores was Ed watching. is actually his stage name. <laughs> but he's, he's Edison Tollett. <laughs> so he does actually have a surname. Yeah, it's know. funny how some commoners do have surnames. Seems like maybe it's like not quite middle class, but upper lower or something tend to end up with some surname sometimes it's a weird thing maybe they're just not quite there yet like it's not in place yet because they came up with surnames because of um the confusion about everybody sharing the same name right so then the surname came about based on like what profession you were or where you lived i just read this the other day so maybe there's not quite there yet you know what else is interesting is ed's son ed's son i bet you that's where it comes from they gave a shout out to Darian there and they kind of did this, they kind of looked like they were yeah. doing an amalgam of Pip and Darian, like they were merging the stories with him being a singer and whatnot. I wonder if, mm-hmm. I presume we're not going to get any of that in the later seasons. But it, at the same time, they said Darian's name like twice during yeah, the ceremony thing. They did, yeah, they said his name, thing. yeah. I, I kind of wonder yeah. if they had intended and then at some point they realized this is just not going to work. Yeah, possibly. Because this is what they're yeah. doing here is what they should have been doing in season four they're giving faces and names and voices to these characters on the wall so you care about them Mm -hmm. and therefore and if they had done this in season four i would have actually cared more when more of them got killed yeah Um, you kind of forget who they are i I also find i'm far more sympathetic to elliser than i thought i just really think of him as the crusty old drill sergeant and I would want to slap John upside the head. So <laughs> I think that that's partially due to is it Owen Teal the actor's name. I think that's partially yeah. due to his portrayal because he is excellent. Yeah, he's he really good. Yeah. Well, and, and the so show the doesn't give the backstory um, for the reason that he has kind of a chip on his shoulder against the Starks too. Right, because wasn't he? He was he sided with the Targaryens, didn't he? Yeah, he was yeah. a Targaryen. I think he might have been. He was in King's Landing. I know that. Um, Tywin's the one who sent him to the Wall. No. But he just has a chip on his shoulder against all the rebels. Oh, he's the one. Yeah. Roose Bolton wanted to have him killed. And Stannis said, no, he should be spared. Is that the one? I think it's Tywin. I think Tywin's the one who sent who sent uh, 
Alistair to the wall. I don't feel. I don't know why I think that. I don't know any of that. I'm terrible. You're the Jon Snow of this podcast. I am the Jon Snow of this podcast. <laughs> you better work on your emo. I'm pretty and pouty, and I know nothing. <laughs> Brilliant hair. Excellent hair. <laughs> so let's go back to King's Landing. Um, Renly asks for a moment with Ned alone. Um, he tells him Cersei won't care about Robert's letter, naming him protector of the realm. Renly wants Ned to um, command. He he give he wants him to command that he give him a hundred swords so that they can get Joffrey away from his mother. Ned reminds <laughs> Renly Stannis is the elder brother. Renly tells Ned Stannis inspires no love or loyalty. He is no king. You know, he says, I am. Uh, He tells Ned, um, well, Ned tells him that he doesn't want to shed any blood in Robert's halls and he refuses his request. Ned composes a letter to be given to Stannis in the next scene. Um, Littlefinger comes in. Ned tells him the children are not Robert's and he does not like the idea of Stannis on the throne. Littlefinger tells Ned he should make peace with the Lannisters, release Tyrion, wed Sansa to Joffrey and take the throne. Share the secret about Joffrey when there are problems, then see Renly. Ned tells him he's suggesting treason. He refuses Littlefinger's scheme. He wants the gold cloaks to defend him against Cersei's guards. And I guess he wants Littlefinger to pay for it. This is just more exasperation for me. This (laughs) entire episode has been Ned being warned by everyone, by Cersei, by Renly, by Littlefinger... And he takes heed of absolutely none of it. And look, I understand. He's an honorable dude. He I wants don't even to think do it's honor. He's a decent man. And they want him. And they're not decent people. Like, decent people don't kill little children. Well, I think honor they is would. part of being a decent person. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, he's just absolutely ignoring all the signs that point to disaster. And it is exasperating to watch. Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> I, I kind of liked. Um, I, I, it's, it's something that Martin does, and he sets it up in um, the first book. And all of these characters talk about Stannis and how awful he is, and how he'd be a terrible king. And it's like, no, I think he'd be a good king. And Renly ain't no king. You know, you can put any yeah. crown you want in your head, dude, and you look pretty, but no. Yeah, uh, Renly talks about, you know, being able to win the people's love. But again, that uh, you need more does than not that. make it right. Exactly. I don't know. I, I would take issue one... with that. I don't think Renly would be a much worse king than Stannis. And I'm a big Stannis fan. Um, they just come Renly from different be. directions. I mean, Renly shows a lot of political aptitude that neither of his brothers ever even begin to show. That's true. Yeah, um, and book, book Renly and show Renly are not the same person. I mean, book Renly isn't in there playing to put himself on the throne at this point, to my memory. Um I don't even think that's crossed his mind <laughs> yet. Yeah. Um, you know, like, yeah. he, I think yeah, he just said, let's make Loris a play for Joffrey, over. right? Doesn't he just want, he wants Ned and him to get a hold they of Joffrey. To, and, yeah, he sure. said to, yeah. yeah, he said, let's take they Joffrey now. Basically can... to get Cersei out of the way so that they'll yeah. have control over Joffrey. Which and really I think is a little good idea. suggests, and pretty he much is really slimy in the book. He suggests that they marry Arya to Tommen. Oh God. Um, Robbed to Marcella and obviously and Sam that, to Joffrey. And so that all the kids are secured. And I think, and I could be really wrong on here, I think he says, you know, hey, if Joffrey's a problem, you know what? We've got the other brother. Yeah, he actually does say, you know, you've got 
however many years, five years until Joff becomes of age. So in the interim, fine, if he becomes what? an issue, we can always, you know, we can always put someone else on the throne. I'm kind of leaning towards King throne. Renly after all that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I don't disagree up. that Renly has some aspects of his personality that would make him an okay king. I don't disagree with that at all. I don't think, as Chicky said, I don't think he'd make a a better or a worse king than, well, say, status. Well, the standard is very low. The standard <laughs> is damn low. Eris? But I was about to say, if you can Robert, beat Eris, and you're we okay. Joffrey right there. I mean, I would be a, an amazing king compared to those three. All so. hail King Tywin, right, yeah. yeah, Tywin, there we go. <laughs> Before we get um, on to I those I do rants. love the one smart <laughs> no. thing Ned has done this whole season is the thing with the letter. Go, go to Stannis. Don't give it to anybody else. Don't do not pass go. And it's I'm like you should have been thinking like that all along, dude. Yeah. Well, he's a slow learner. (laughs) 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 The amount of Ned vitriol in this podcast gives me life. (laughs) (laughs) Which Sean is so good. I gotta say, as much as I hate, he really brings. Get gravitas, is that the right word to net yeah. that I Oh, you mm-hmm. said Sean Bean, you think Sean Bean is good. He's amazing. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. He's great in everything I've seen him in, I think. Yeah. Um, well he he perfectly portrays him as a guy who just yeah. believes in the ultimately in the rule of law. This yeah. is Ned's fatal flaw, is that he just thinks that the right thing is what will happen in the end. I mean, he understands that there are bad people and bad things happen, but he's like, no, no, this is this is the right thing. This is the thing that should happen. And for some reason, he just thinks everybody else agrees with him. And look, yeah. you and, sort of see similarities with Brienne, don't you? That sort of... And Sansa. Yeah. yeah. And Sansa. Yeah, we do have these, these characters. Well, Sansa's a little better able to compromise. She's Brienne's a, a, probably a really good uh, you know, yeah. analog yeah. to, to Ned. They're Brienne, crushing look, Sansa. Is the good thing so. about... Yeah, I agree about Sansa. She certainly learns very quickly. And in fact, she does learn to play the game as best she can, I think. But with Brienne, well, she's a little bit... if you your father getting killed and all this other stuff, you'd learn too. I don't know. Sansa's playing the game the minute she leaves Winterfell. Yeah, I, I would I never she's... say that Sansa was ever quite at a Ned level of No, of I don't think she was ever. No one's a Ned level. Even Brienne's not at Ned level. <laughs> Brienne has the capacity to learn and change you know, she learns from Jamie, so... <laughs> I am looking for a maid of three and ten with Auburn hair. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, you know, I mean, that's that's where Brienne is heading, isn't it? It's, it's a sort of a nettish, a nettish dilemma where she has to choose between what she believes to be right and, I guess, following her heart. So, and will anyway, she come out maybe. with her head? That's the big will question. Will she come out with yeah. her head? We shall see. Maybe she one day. Of course she will. In 2045, we'll find out. going to be on the island and she and Jamie are going to bang a lot. Let's just hold on yep. to that. Road to Bang City, baby. <laughs> okay. I love uh, that we can make go- any conversation about JB and Brienne. This is amazing. <laughs> we're going to go to the next scene, and this is John and Sam again, and um, there's a few others uh, with them heading out the tunnel to the north. They kneel at the Weeping Werewood, and they say their vows. They are now men of the Night's Watch. i got to just ask comes you out- guys, sorry, just quickly, did the recitation of the vows fall a bit flat for any of you? I, when I was reading the book, I got, I don't know, me? I felt, I got such a sense of, uh, I don't know, you know, you knelt as boys, now rise as men of the night's watch. It's it's this huge rite of passage, this really big moment in these boys' lives. And I it just didn't feel like it to me in the show. I'm going to disagree, but that's just, I'm not that invested in it, so sway mm. me. 
No, yeah, I, I didn't hear a damn word of it. I am so uninterested in what happens at the wall. I, just See, I, like the, I like the wall stuff. The wall I stuff like is actually some of my like favourite stuff. Too many yeah. boys. I'm bored. <laughs> but they're so pretty, lot. <laughs> I like girls. Well, they're like, they're not like that. <laughs> no, I, I've got to say, I did my, like... I hate Star Wars. There's no strong female characters. I really don't give yeah. a shit. Yeah, so, you got Leia, and then that's okay. you Brienne got the will still, still who changes her clothes minutes. every five minutes, and is surprised when. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. The the vows were actually, and I know you don't care, but the vows were actually truncated a little bit. They left out a little bit of it, and I don't know whether it was that, a combination of that, and perhaps the acting for me wasn't. I don't know. It wasn't great in this scene. It felt like they were merely going through the motions to me. But anyway, I thought. Look, I thought the. That little bit of brotherly unity, you know, after the vow recitation was nice, where they all kind of <laughs> whipped yeah, it up and dude, hugged we and made whatnot. It through. Graduation, <laughs> yeah. until as Lot was it's about to say, ghost runs here, up. But no, that would be bad. We die. No, the best part of the scene was this definitely is Lot's favorite in- bit. When Ghost comes to the tree <laughs> with Benjamin's arm, in his with Benjamin's arm, with, with Jamie's arm, <laughs> foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so that's that's the wall and uh, the vows. Uh, we're going to go on to the winemaker scene. Um, the winemaker has obviously been beaten. He's facing a punishment of being forced to walk behind a horse and then dragged until he falls. Jorah tells Danny he saw a man last nine miles once. Jorah assures her King Robert will never stop trying to kill her. <coughs> Keldrogo enters and embraces Daenerys and thanks Jorah by giving him a pony. He then promises his <laughs> son he will have the Iron Throne. He not is as pretty pissed. as the pony he's, that he's Jane getting, gave Brienne. The Iron Chair. Let's not let's not make <laughs> the, the Iron Chair. <laughs> he then promises his son the Iron Chair. He's pissed. He works <laughs> up into a frenzy. Things are looking really up for Danny in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> she is looking way too aroused while Drogo is giving his speech, I have to say. Well, no, I have to, to say, be it fair. Was... To be fair, aren't we all a little aroused? I mean, I was yeah, about to say, there's definitely one stallion who's going to get to I do some mounting tonight. I'm aroused because <laughs> between her and Lena Heedy, who looked kind of constipated the whole, se- the whole uh-huh. episode, I don't, I don't know. I it did was not kind really... of a, it was a very Braveheart esque scene for me. I thought that um, Jason Momoa was actually really fantastic in this. Oh scene. yeah, he's good. Yeah, I, yeah. I honestly I couldn't say what Amelia Clark was doing in this scene because I was <laughs> only Jason Momoa. Hey, Chicky, Chicky, eyes up here. Very, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't like her, and I've said this before. It's not new. Um, but both, I don't know. She, I was just kind of like, I think my notes. I say, what the hell is she? What is her expression? Is she turned on? Is she like having yep. a bowel movement? I was really unclear. <laughs> no, but seriously, so, Jason yeah. fucking Momoa oh, in this wow. scene. Right. Oh nailed it. Right. Nailed it and animal. would he nailed it and I would nail it. Yeah. One thousand percent. So, as promised, the wine merchant is tethered behind Daenerys' horse, and um, we get full male frontal nudity. Yay. Too and bad I hope guy. we all enjoyed it, because I don't think we're getting that ever again. Yeah. That, 20, like... that 20 seconds of penis definitely makes up for the 25 minutes of <laughs> <Vagina>. action earlier. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's just like, it's just like, oh, I really want this. I really want this. And then they give it to me. Nope. It's like, that wasn't what I wanted. That's not what I want. <laughs> Where's Jason Mabala? <laughs> They've, they have do- all of these incredibly hot men. And that's <laughs> good what agents. they give us. <laughs> Don't it's worry. Good. When JD is living it up in Dawn and having his orgies, we'll get some. Yeah, we're not we'll going to be fully clothed. I, I hope you understand He'll that. Fully, YG. You it'll be like be the, naked because they're not going to do that. It'll be like Stannis' sex scenes where the woman's oh, fully God. naked and Stannis is fully clothed. He's so <laughs> hot. He can manage to impregnate Melisandra without removing never his pants. dropping trout at all. <laughs> oh gosh, so pissed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going back to King's Landing because we need to wrap this up. <laughs> Cersei and King Joffrey request Ned's presence in the throne room. Littlefinger tells Ned the gold cloaks are his. Renly and Loras have fled the city, we learn. And just before Ned goes in, Janice Slint tells Ned that the gold cloaks, you know, are his. Ed, fetch jo- me a block! Sorry. What? I said, Ed, fetch me a block. Sorry, it's a reference to... Oh, God, this is a spoiler-free podcast. Sorry, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I was talking about the uh, ultimate fate of Janice Slint. But anyway, (laughs) carry on. So Ned hobbles into the throne room. Joffrey is on the throne, Cersei beside him. Joffrey tells them all... He wishes to be crowned in a fortnight, 14 days. Um, Ned calls upon Sir Barristan to read his letter from Robert, naming Ned protector of the realm and regent. Cersei asks to see it, then tears it up. She tells Ned to bend the knee, and they will allow him to live out his days in the north. Take the deal, Ned! Ned calls upon the gold cloaks to seize Cersei and Joffrey. They instead turn on Ned and his men, killing them. Ned draws his sword, Littlefinger pulls a dagger, holds it to his neck, and tells him, I told, I did warn you not to trust me. And no, shit just got whatever. Credits. That's the end. I have one comment about this scene. Other than, my God, can you overact um, Aiden Gillen? Um, <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> is going on with Cersei's dress and hair? She looked so oh, ugly. Oh, my God. Oh, you know what my comment is about Cersei? Here's my Cersei comment. What the hell kind of bruise is that on her face? It's like they just put a little sprinkling of pink or something. It's like, have you ever seen any one of the bruise? It was a total fail. It was a total hair, makeup, dress fail, this scene. Yeah, I know when I beat up people, it's a lot worse. (laughs) No, you would know. (laughs) I don't know. It sounds like we didn't like this episode. <laughs> we did a lot of Doesn't bitching. It hard yeah, tonight? you know, it, it was I a like good episode for the most part. And actually, that may explain why my DVD hesitates quite a bit on this this whole thing, because I just rewatch it for the first scene. But, um, <laughs> I haven't Sorry. seen the full episode since I watched it the first time. I just watched that first ten minutes and switched off. <laughs> That's all you need. That's all you need. I mean, it's not a terrible episode. I think it's just the same thing that has been rewatching a lot of this. The the problems with this show are so glaring in this first season on a rewatch. I was about to say, I think they're glaring in retrospect as well. Yeah, yeah. And particularly things like the sex position in this thing are just, it's just hard to get past them, frankly, for me. I mean, uh, for me, I'm just, I'm still as enraged as when I watched it 
two or three days ago. It's just like, what? Yeah. The fuck I think is this? for me, what's problematic is that I'm watching it and the good things they do, and there are good, good scenes, and I, I'm not just talking there about are. the whole. Yeah. But they start to fade, and I keep noticing what become prominent issues as mm-hmm. the series goes on and they get more confident in deviating from the material. Um, I start to know, like we're sort of witnessing the start and it only escalates as they go on. And that for me is an issue. I mean, the things that we've said that are positive, the casting, they, I don't know who their casting director (coughs) is, but whoever it is is awesome because there are very few fails um, when they are, they're epic, but most of those small parts, (laughs) I mean, you know, the random people they have to come on and do a couple of lines, they're spot on every time. Yeah, well, Nina Nina Gold is the casting director now, and I think she was then too. Yeah, she is phenomenal. She's clearly Mm. one of the 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 bright lights of this entire production. But I mean, the problems that I notice, I mean, they just get more prominent. The simplicity that they're Mm -hmm. writing these characters with, this is what they seem capable of doing. I don't know. I don't know these guys work before this, but I mean, and. If anyone says, oh, this is an H- HBO, I mean, there have been some of the best written characters ever on this network. And so it's not a problem with the network. Hmm. They just seem to like to distill down the characters to a very uncomplicated kind of level. And they're really bad at doing that with the women. Well, it's like, yeah, I think that's it. Think they have to dumb down for TV viewers and it just feels so in your face and it's insulting. And if it this were network TV, I would understand that, but it's not. It's not even basic cable. This is the yeah. network that gave us shows like The Wire and The Sopranos and, and Rome. I mean, really great shows. And we've seen hot-looking naked men lots on that network. So, come on. Yeah. That well, would, that like, would appease me, honestly. You, I, I you, really think- it's not... It's not the nudity flat out. It's not, it's not even the exploitation of women entirely. It's just that taken together with the fact that, that when you know the source material of these books and when you realize yeah. the few things that they have cut even early in this first season, they're the things that kind of make the women truly, truly shine for me anyway in the books. And, and it's just irritating. It's just yeah. a baseline it's, it level be. of irritation. It can be very rare in fantasy books that you get good women characters. And here we have a plethora of good women characters Mm -hmm. that have been written and it's just not being translated to screen. And as Lot said, it's insulting. Yeah. Yep. I agree. (sighs) And we've gone way, way over. So let's just end it on this up and uh, go on to Q&A. Do we have any No, we don't have any Q's or or A's. I do Do have have any thank yous. I do. It's a bit awkward. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chicky. I was going to say, we had kind of a question-ish thing from Liz, right? About last week's episode. Sort of, yeah. Oh, we did in Tumblr. Tumblr. I can grab it quickly if you guys can talk amongst yourselves. I can always talk amongst myself. In fact, I could just take over this podcast if anyone wanted me to. I think Comma has some more to say about Tywin. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I think I've said it all. (laughs) She's her. Wow, what about Stannis? No? (laughs) Stannis is the one true king of Westeros. Woo! Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
Do you really <laughs> feel that way? Like honestly, comma, if you had to, he's if the I have a only question, one comma. who came to the wall. He's the only one lost. Sure he sure is. Damn it. And you know what? Yeah, he might not be boring. a great king in peacetime, <laughs> but we all know they are facing trouble. And he would be a great wartime king. Thank you. Stannis is boring. Stannis is hilarious. How can Stannis uh, be boring? I, you know, wait, wait, that's wait, the wait, problem. Wait. Said he was boring. Show. I don't I think did. anyone said. You lot did. I did. But lot, have you read I Stannis did, and in I'd the book? I did, and I'd say it again. Book Stannis has this amazing dry wit. Funny. Not... He's so funny in you the book. You don't see it in the show. It's really sad, actually. It is, actually. Because I freaking yeah. love Stannis's dry wit in the book. His interactions with John at the wall are some you of my favorite. Oh, my God. God. They're shit. <laughs> They're bromance. I've got it. I've got it. I've got yeah. it. They're Okay, here we go. God. So this, um, this came in. Oh. <laughs> All hell king status. Anyway, so this came in from Liz, who is Life in a Bubble Jungle on Tumblr a few days ago. And she says, uh, hey, did you guys read the supposed summary of Jamie's arc in season five? Apparently, he's going to return to King's Landing this season and will later leave for the Riverlands to help Bree and Pod in the quest for Sansa. It was all said by an extra on Reddit, so it could be all a lie, but I'm still very excited. <laughs> and then she says, though I'm still wondering what will be Brienne's part this season. I don't think there will be any Brave Companions or Meribold, and as they've confirmed, there will be no Stoneheart. Discuss. I don't, did we ever talk about those Reddit spoilers? I assume we all saw them. I they came out right. really early. Think, like, no, I didn't. June? I didn't it was like June. June. I live in a I live in a bubble, Liz. Well, in a bubble it was it was she pretty well outlined it there. What what the what the thing was that went on Reddit? It had no correlation to anything. It was never corroborated. It was just this no. thing that was thrown out. Someone who claimed that they knew Jamie's entire arc for the season, but I think it's been pretty well negated, Liz. Oh, well, if you wait, look wait, at the wait, fact that we this. yeah we know that Cersei's walk is in nine or ten, and we know that Jamie's still in Dorne in nine. So that pretty well negates yeah. what this person claimed, which was that. Yeah. Jamie would first return to King's Landing from Dorne and then leave King's Landing looking for Brienne. There just doesn't seem to be any time for any of that to happen, given that we know those two things are happening very late in the season. So I think there's no credence whatsoever in those spoilers. I think they've pretty well been debunked at this point. I agree. Yeah. Fuck darn. <laughs> You're going the wrong way! <laughs> Fuck face. <laughs> Okay, did anyone else have anything to say about that? Or I think that's probably all that needs to be said about that. I'm done. Point. You're done? All right, we have one thank you this week. And we have one <laughs> We have one thank you this week, and it's a bit awkward because it came from me. <laughs> but I'm going wow. to read it anyway. Wow. <laughs> so Can you I read said... it with a Texas accent? <laughs> no. Send no. Thank you, people, please. Okay. Um, so I wrote in about last week's episode, which was the uh, the World of Ice and Fire discussion. Um, and I said, you guys did a tremendous job discussing the World of Ice and Fire last week. Dramas, Josie and Guile were, were all articulate and knowledgeable guests. And the usual suspects, Chicky and Eon, were a pleasure to listen to as always. What a well done, interesting, fun episode. Thanks, guys. Thank so, you. I thanks, will take guys. that thank you on behalf of our three guests who were phenomenal. They Eon were and I amazing. were so happy with our guests last week. They were amazing. They we love them. Yeah. You guys did a great job and you're welcome back anytime. Yes. And speaking of amazing guests, how about a big I shout have out to, to say, Cora? My favorite. 
Cora, are you still awake? <laughs> are you still just, awake? I feel like I've been an awful guest. <laughs> you are. You've been great. Six in the morning for you? Yeah, it's the middle of the night for Cora. She wakes oh up gosh. in the middle of the night to do this podcast it's with us. She's three. pretty spectacular. She is oh, a trooper, first. and you did a great job, Cora. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that is all for thank yous. Awesome. <laughs> I we lose lot? to say if I could no, just she go fell back asleep. to the last episode. <laughs> no. I'm here. Yeah. You can't hear me? That's the last yeah, episode. Yeah. Last episode. Oh, I was going to say the last episode. My favorite quote of the last episode was a bum fuck Westeros. That was Drabus. I love that. That was amazing. Oh, God. So that's it for this episode. Um, if you want to contact us, you can at our Gmail at closethedoorand at gmail.com. You can also suggest through Tumblr at closethedoorandcomehere.tumblr.com. And also follow us on Twitter at Door Podcast. And that's it. So I'm going to say thank you to Coralie, although everyone else has. Here's my opportunity. Thank you, Coralie, for guesting. And thank you and, for moderating. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Bye, Night, everyone. everybody. Bye. Yep. Bye. No problem.